Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. I'm Ben Dominich. I'm Ainsley Earhart. I'm Trey Gowdy, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, September 14th, 2022. I'm Lisa Brady. The president's holding many events on his agenda, trying to rally midterm voters, but he's not sitting down for interviews. It's a deliberate strategy by this White House to not expose a president who is famously gaff-prone and has been his whole career to the possibility of making mistakes uh, when pressed by journalists. We speak with Fox's Howard Kurtz. I'm Dave Anthony. Inflation just won't go away. And the latest update showing prices rising more sent stocks falling big. There is virtually nothing in the report that felt good uh, when we're trying to extract ourselves from the current economic challenges with inflation being public enemy number one. And I'm Greg Jarrett. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Less than eight weeks to the midterm elections, Republicans are hammering away on inflation. Whether it's the grocery store, whether it's utility costs, people are suffering. And New York Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, who chairs the House Republican Caucus, predicts voters will hold Democrats accountable. It's been a difficult two years for the American people because of Joe Biden, House Democrats and Senate Democrats' single-party far-left rule. But Michigan Democratic Congresswoman Debbie Dingell defends President Biden, telling Fox News... Well, quite frankly, I think he's doing a lot better job than the last administration. And I'm tired of seeing this country divided. You know, you're forgetting what this country was like when he took office and what this pandemic had done to people. This, as many Democrats, also keep warning voters about Trump supporting Republicans and an extreme agenda punctuated by the president's recent primetime speech in Philadelphia. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. Which was followed by multiple clarifications that he wasn't condemning all Republicans. Many GOP critics of the president also criticized the media, accusing liberal coverage of helping him lead the charge. There's a certain element of truth there. Howard Kurtz hosts Media Buzz on the Fox News Channel and the Media Buzz Meter podcast. Because the president, in the run-up to, you know, when he kind of switched to a more aggressive midterm campaign strategy. And he's a pretty good retail campaigner. He seems so much more comfortable in front of a crowd trashing the other side than he does reading off a a teleprompter. Uh, But when he said, you know, semi-fascist, referring to MAGA Republicans, and then followed it up with the speech in Philadelphia, which White House continues to insist today was nonpartisan. Because he said, well, I'm not talking about the whole Republican Party. I'm just talking about the MAGA Republicans. Well, for one thing, most of the Republican Party right now is a Trump party. So the MAGA Republicans have the majority. Secondly, this notion that you can somehow neatly separate mainstream Republicans or mainstream conservatives, as Biden is trying to do, was totally embraced by the media. They just rolled over for it and therefore said, yeah, you know, it wasn't really partisan. It was simply a case of the president calling out those who are a danger to democracy. And I think that is giving him a pass in a way that he should not have gotten it from the media. 
It was interesting that the president's primetime address wasn't carried by some of the major networks like it normally would be. The Washington Post is saying that was due to the networks deeming the remarks really mainly political in nature. I mean, you know, what does that say about the relationship? Well, maybe that's because it was a highly political speech. And the reason that ABC, CBS and NBC decided not to carry it was because, you know, when you ask for airtime, as the president and the White House clearly did, you have to show that you've got something newsworthy to say. Now, you could argue that whenever the president speaks and he rarely does it in prime time, it's newsworthy. But they weren't convinced there was anything other than a political speech. And they turned out to be right. And um, I think time has shown that this is going to be his campaign theme. Now, it's not like Donald Trump is saying nice things about President Biden. After that speech, he hit back. And so you have an extraordinary situation here for the media to cover in which both Donald Trump and Joe Biden, both of whom want to run against each other in 2024 because each thinks the other would be the easiest candidate to defeat, are accusing each other of being liars and a danger to democracy. We've never quite faced anything like that before. Well, it's interesting, too, that each of their parties accuses the other of dividing the country. (laughs) But, I mean, to the extent that the country is divided already, I mean, are, are people just firmly in their camps and seeking out coverage that validates their own positions? Yeah, absolutely. And that's been true for a long time. And cable news can certainly be accused of fanning those flames. Donald Trump is the person most responsible for keeping the allegedly but unproven stolen election charges in the news because he talks about it on True Social virtually every day. And so he not only says the election was stolen. He has demanded to be either immediately reinstated or have a new, what I would call a do-over election called. There's nobody in our constitutional system that has any authority to do that. And the Justice Department doesn't have that power. In fact, there's nobody in the constitutional system that has that power. I've talked to several prominent Republicans, one of them a member of Congress, who say privately, this is not helping the Republicans in the midterms because it increasingly seems to be about Trump in 2020 as opposed to Republicans wanting to make the election referendum on President Biden, on inflation, uh, on the border and other issues that play favorably to them. So that's basically what this election is going to come down to and how the media need to cover it. And I think cover it aggressively and fairly, which is each side trying to make the other the issue. But Donald Trump, in the view of these Republicans who say it privately, but don't go on TV and say it, they don't want to relitigate the 2020 election. At least that's what they tell me. The media has been covering some of the former president's remarks on his social media platform. Do you expect his posts to ever carry the same weight that they once did on Twitter or are they already? No, it's not even close. I mean, um, whatever one thinks of Truth Social, Donald Trump had about 90 million or 88 million Twitter followers when he was banned after January 6th. And he has about 3.9 million on Truth Social. But what's happening is people are taking that information and they do amplify it on their own Twitter feeds and their news reports and so forth. So it's not that it's having no impact. I think it's getting pretty wide circulation, especially given the absolute continuing media obsession with Justice Department investigation of Trump over classified documents, the legal battles that are going on about that. So I would say, no, it's nowhere near the impact of Twitter, but the true social posts are getting a fairly wide amount of attention through 
the repetition by the mainstream media. President Biden's facing some criticism for not doing a sit down interview with the TV network in months now and in general, just not giving you know the press as much access as his predecessor did. Is he getting a pass from the media on this? Is this just an extension of what Republicans portrayed as, you know, him hiding in his basement during the campaign? <laughs> well, there's absolutely no question uh, now that this has gone on for months that President Biden has decided to stay away from sit-down interviews. And it's outrageous. Not because journalists are such appealing characters that he should want to sit down with them, but because the president has a responsibility to take questions from the press. Now, I've debated this with Jen Psaki and others in the White House. They say, oh, you know, he has other ways of reaching the people, but they all amount to carefully controlled messages. Yes, he takes a couple of questions sometimes at events at the end or while he's walking away or when he's about to, you know, get on the helicopter. But that is a poor substitute for one thing. It's usually just two or three questions. There's no ability to follow up. And there was a time when the press was sort of rebelling against this. Now I think there's been a throwing up of the hands. And I think it's part of the job of a president. And it's a deliberate strategy by this White House to not expose a president who is famously gaff-prone and has been his whole career to the possibility of making mistakes uh, when pressed by journalists. Here we are just a couple of months out now from the midterms. Voters, no doubt, will be bombarded by negative ads, which have already been running. Are we getting to a point where that could backfire for either side, even if it's just the PACs running them and not the candidates themselves? I've covered negative ads for 20 or 25 years. And the reason PACs keep running them is that they work. In this rather tribalized environment, I don't know if they will have as much impact as the sort of baked in opinions of people who are either Trump supporters or now increasingly Biden supporters now that he's seen as perhaps a more uh, viable candidate. And so that's the key is that Polls show majority of them, of Republicans, excuse me, believe the election was stolen in 2020. They buy into what the other side calls the big lie. And uh, most Democrats believe it is Trump who is lying when he continues to say, despite the fact that it's never been proven in any lawsuit, that there was a significant enough fraud in 2020 to even come close to reversing the results in any battleground state. I just wanted to ask you a question about public perception and how much it matters. And I'm thinking of this with the Pennsylvania Senate race in mind um, Mm -hmm. because of the uh, viral crudite video by the Republican candidate, Dr. Mehmet Oz, and then the veggie tray response from the Democratic Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman, who's the Democrat in that Senate race. I mean, obviously, you know, those videos got a lot of attention in a race where, you know, Fetterman just had a stroke in May. So he hasn't done much in-person campaigning. Well, You know, I think that the press has to be hard on both sides. There was an assumption, fairly well grounded in my view, that Dr. Ross was running a horrible campaign, and I hold accountable those who are working on the campaign as well for him, you know, take a shot at a guy who's just had a stroke. On the other hand, Washington Post just had an editorial saying that John Fetterman should release his medical records and he should debate Dr. Oz. I don't know whether that will happen in the end. I mean, Oz is in the unusual situation, whether he has taken unfair shots at Fetterman's health or not, of facing a guy who clearly is still having speech issues because of the stroke that he suffers. And for that reason, I think the election may be closer 
than many observers were imagining. I think the polls are tightening in that race because voters are going to have to make a decision. You know, will there be sympathy for him for a guy who's trying to recover from a stroke? Will, will there be concern that he might not be up to the job? One other quick thing. Is the media spending too much time on quality questions about Republican candidates? What happened is that, thanks in part to Trump endorsements, there are running in a general election several Republican candidates, particularly in the Senate races, who might be seen as too far to the right for a general election, but were perfectly positioned to win primaries with Donald Trump's backing. Wild card here, of course is the battle of abortion rights, which is why you saw Senator Lindsey Graham try to push this idea of a compromise, or at least let Republicans look less extreme by saying, well, we ought to have a uh, 15-week ban, which is four months, to allow illegal abortion. I don't think it's going to pass. Democrats are not taking the bait, or maybe the Democrats just want the issue. But with that in mind, I do think that there may be uh, an automatic assumption that's going to enable the Democrats to hold the Senate and maybe even hold on to the House. But as far as the Senate races go, as some of these Republican candidates, namely uh, Blake Masters in Arizona, have changed their position or scrubbed their websites or otherwise tried to soften their tone on abortion, they may or may not succeed in uh, closing the gap that we currently see in some of the polls. Howard Kurtz, host of Media Buzz on Fox News Channel, and check out the Media Buzz Meter podcast. Howard, thank you so much for your time. Good to be with you. The Will Kane Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Kane as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. This is Greg Jarrett with your Fox News commentary coming up. A lot of Americans lost a lot of money yesterday in the biggest sell-off on Wall Street since June 2020. Why? Inflation. Consumer prices did not drop in August from July, as predicted. Instead, they rose a tenth of a percent. And year over year, the increase was more than expected, 8.3 percent. That is down slightly from July and from June's 40-year high. President Biden calls that progress and good for American families. And he believes the law Democrats in Congress passed will help even more. A single most important legislation passed in the Congress to combat inflation and one of the most significant laws in our nation's history, in my view. The president at an event hailing the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act he signed. He says one big cost that will go down, prescription drugs for seniors the american people won and special interests lost but no republicans supported it senate gop leader mitch mcconnell says the law's name is all wrong nonpartisan experts have concluded that washington democrats did last month will not meaningful re- meaningfully reduce inflation at all and will actually make it worse now back to that inflation report it makes it all but certain the federal reserve will keep aggressively raising interest rates There is virtually nothing in the report that felt good uh, when we're trying to extract ourselves from the current economic challenges with inflation being public enemy number one. Mark Hamrick is senior economic analyst and Washington bureau chief for Bankrate. 
look at the headline number as sort of having come down from the 9% range. And that's sort of like, well, maybe the patient gets released from intensive care, but they're still in the hospital here. And uh, and then think about numbers that have an eight and a six handle in front of them. And then the Federal Reserve's target for inflation being 2%. So we're talking about factors of 3x or 4x over what the Fed is shooting for. Yeah, and actually, actually it's 5.5x. When you look at the price of groceries, the food at home cost is up 11% year over year. We all have to eat. And if we're pinching pennies, we're not going out. So people are eating at home even more. So that is a big concern, I would imagine, for the Fed, right? Well, uh, it's among them for sure. And, you know, we did a bank rate survey not that long ago that found that the majority of Americans uh, were cutting back on discretionary purchases. And the reason for that is because they can't afford them uh, in the way that they did before. And if you can't afford sort of optional items, then you focus on necessities and the costs of necessities are all higher than a year ago. Yes, there's been relief at the gasoline pump, but the price of gasoline is still higher than a year ago. Uh, And we are seeing ways that people react to this in the sense of, well, maybe you buy the chicken instead of crab cakes, or maybe you buy frozen fruit instead of fresh. There are all kinds of ways to substitute and try to react out there. And clearly that's what consumers are doing. We see it in the data. We see it from what the retail CEOs tell us. And it's just the problem uh, has been remarkably uh, serious and persistent. So that brings us to, you mentioned the Fed, the Federal Reserve next week is going to meet again, and everyone seems to expect another big interest rate increase, three quarters of a percent. Some people think a full percentage point. Is that what the Fed has to do? Well, the Fed needs to be attending to its responsibilities, and it has a legally prescribed dual mandate of maximum employment, which typically would be the real priority, but stable prices is the other part of that. And so they're willing to sacrifice the strength of the job market quite clearly uh, in the cause of attacking demand, bringing demand down, and therefore sort of try to better align the supply and demand of things and services as well. So if we have increases in the interest rates in the next couple of months again and again and again. At what point does the Fed put the economy into a recession? Some people believe we've already been there because we had two slightly negative quarters where the GDP went down instead of up. Well, there's not a magic formula for that. And and Chairman Powell has said that he doesn't believe that that is something that necessarily happens. But he's also said that we should be prepared for pain that is consistent with higher interest rates. So what do you think? Do you think there's going to be a recession? Are you are we in one? There will always be a recession. There will always be a recession. The question is, when does it begin? How serious is it? How long does it last? I don't think it'll be anything like the last two. And the last two were not like anything we've ever experienced before either. The the one in April of 2020 was because of the pandemic oh, lockdown. Yeah. yeah. As you remember, we lost 22 million jobs in two months. That was unprecedented. And then the great financial crisis where the unemployment rate went to 10% and the economic system nearly collapsed because of a variety of complicated factors. What does it mean, though, for the average consumer? What the Fed's doing, what is it going to mean for me 
in the next couple of months? First of all, interest rates need to get into a more nominal territory where they have been, you know, basically hovering at record low levels for the better part of 15 years. And there have been some unintended consequences of that, one of which is that the Fed then doesn't have the tools in its toolbox to respond to a crisis, the likes of which we had in 2020. So they want to have interest rates where they can be lowered when the time comes that that needs to happen. Uh, And that was one of the unintended consequences of keeping interest rates low is they sort of took that bullet out of the holster, so to speak. But in terms of negatives, people should absolutely be prepared for a weaker job market. And so if demand cools a little bit, businesses are better able to find the qualified and engaging workers that they want, that would get the economy to a better place. You don't want to have a recession to get there. You don't want to have a recession to get lower interest rates. But that's how these things do happen. Okay. Another huge, the biggest, probably the biggest cost that we all pay monthly is, you know, where we're living. And that cost continues to rise. Housing up um, like 0.7%, I think, in the month of August. Rent is right along a side of that. So what should we expect? Certainly with higher interest rates, mortgage rates keep going up, right? Yeah. Um, and mortgage rates track more closely to the yield of the 10-year Treasury, and that uh, has taken a somewhat uh, serious move higher of late. And so our bank rate average for 30-year fixed rate mortgages uh, just went back above uh, the 6% level. And we might get to seven, right, at some point, maybe? Well, I mean, you know, (laughs) round and round she goes. Where she stops, nobody knows. Very difficult to predict that. But um, if indeed we actually did see inflation start to cool, that's when you would start to see that move lower. And of course, the impact of the sustained rise in home prices that we've had for years now, maybe that's going to start to reverse itself somewhat, along with the higher cost of housing finance, mortgage rates, has really put housing affordability in a nasty place. Uh, And so we've had six straight months of falling home sales. Yeah. So even with the lower home sales, prices have been rising. And if you still have high prices and then you have high mortgage rates, like you said, it's not a good place. No, uh, I would say, though, that the imbalance uh, that was seen in the housing market during the pandemic was not really a great place either. It worked to the benefit of sellers, absolutely not necessarily to the benefit of buyers. And we want to have that kind of reset without causing, let's say, a significant loss in household wealth, meaning your home price values uh, decline. But uh, if we could have a more sustainable increase, a, a more, let's say, reserved increase, in home prices for the foreseeable future, that would be welcome. Unfortunately, what we need to do to get there is also get more inventory, and there's been nothing done by fiscal authorities to encourage that. Uh, So essentially, we've had a shortage of housing supply. One other thing that affects consumers, it's going to cost more to use the credit card, correct? The average for credit card interest of late for the best qualified borrowers has moved up through 18% in the latest week. And this is one thing that actually moves in lockstep with what the Federal Reserve rate increases uh, do. So uh, we always counsel that people should pay off their credit card debt uh, before the billing cycle hits and then they actually have to pay the interest. In this case, there's an added incentive because the cost of that interest continues to rise. But if we have a tough downturn in the economy, 
You would expect that more Americans would just be piling up some more debt. They're doing that already. Uh, and that is a concern because if some of those people uh, are headed for unemployment, then they get to a situation where they don't really have many tools left. More economic trouble may be coming down the tracks. A potential railroad workers strike looms as soon as Friday in a union dispute over pay and scheduling issues in an understaffed industry. Congress could intervene, but Democratic Senator Dick Durbin says, I don't think it's likely we will intervene. I don't think it's likely to happen. Some railroads have already stopped shipping hazardous or sensitive materials in advance. Well, if it were to happen, it'd be quite bad because it would basically mean that we're not able to move significant uh, aspects of our economy from point A to point B. Like a third of the freight in the country would be on hold, right? Well, uh, it would be significant. I think, you know, I've seen maybe along the lines of at least uh, 25 percent. But I also, you know, I've been fooled in the past by placing my uh, confidence in elected officials to do the right thing. But there is power within the federal government to basically avert a strike. And, you know, between uh, a significant problem with, once again, supply chains, even more so than what we've seen in the past, as well as the potential impacts. Here we go again on prices, for example, the transportation of coal, which is needed for production of electricity, among, among other things, as well as other industrial applications. We just need we need these gears to, to turn. And uh, we, we hope that it can be avoided through negotiation. But there are also tools for authorities to use if they if they need to keep these people at work, which means Congress, really. I mean, if, if, if we get to the end of the cooling off period Friday, it's only Congress could stop it. Yeah, and I don't think it's in anybody's favor, really, to to allow this to happen. I mean, obviously, if you're a worker who feels like you deserve or need more in your negotiation, that that's a, that's a tool in your toolbox. But it's sort of not unlike the problem that we have with our federal government is that all too often people place the needs of the party above the country. In this case, the party be organized labor, and and the needs of the country are are greater than those needs. Mark Hamrick. Senior Economic Analyst and Washington Bureau Chief at Bankrate. Thanks very much for joining us. My pleasure, Dave. Thanks for having me. other news. I'm Gianna Gelosi. The economy might be ugly, but Americans will still spend a buck to feel pretty. Target, Kohl's, Macy's and Nordstrom all highlighted strong sales of beauty items in their second quarter earnings as many retailers slash financial outlooks in other areas. Walmart, the nation's largest retailer, said it's seen an increase in momentum in its beauty business, citing strong sales in cosmetics as well as skin and hair businesses. Ulta Beauty, the largest beauty retailer in the country, said overall sales spiked nearly 17 percent compared to the same period last year. Analysts say part of this has to do with the fact that many of us have been stuck behind Zoom screens for the last few years because of the pandemic. And now we're out and about and want to look our best. Returning to the office has some even meeting co-workers face to face for the first time. But there's also another theory, and it's called the Lipstick Index. It derives from lipstick sales rising during times of economic downturn. The reasoning goes like this. When consumer sentiment declines, Americans seek escapism by looking for small ways to indulge themselves, like purchasing a new lipstick instead of pricier alternatives they can no longer afford. 
Market research showed makeup sales spiked during the Great Depression and the recession in the early 2000s, and the same seems to be true now. Americans have bought more eye, face, and lip makeup, roughly 2, 5, and 12 percent respectively, in a year-over-year analysis of sales across stores, according to the market research firm IRI. For the Fox News Rundown, I'm Gianna Jalosi. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Greg Jarrett. What's on your mind? It's tawdry enough that Hillary Clinton is now hawking $30 hats, flaunting the words, but her emails. She also had the temerity to tweet, the fact is I had zero emails that were classified. That breathtaking lie was followed by a Sunday appearance on CNN, in which Clinton claimed with a straight face, quote, no one is above the law. And no one should be escaping accountability, end of quote. That's like a bank robber scolding others for their heists. But Hillary can't resist insinuating herself into the Trump classified documents debate and inveighing against the man who deprived her of the presidency. She'll never get over it. You'll recall that in 2016, Clinton escaped accountability and prosecution in her email scandal, despite a cascade of crimes clearly committed. That coup reinforced her twisted view that only she is above the law. James Comey, then FBI director, abetted Hillary's corrupt behavior when he absolved her of any wrongdoing by mangling the law and usurping the power of the attorney general. Comey knew that Clinton had egregiously compromised national security and in the process committed a myriad of felonies under the Espionage Act and other criminal statutes. The FBI did not raid her home to seize classified records as she worked furiously to destroy the evidence. The pervasive bias that contaminated the case is a microcosm of the agency's dysfunction and established today's politically driven double standard. Abiding by the law is important unless you're a Democrat. Throughout the FBI's investigation of Clinton, Hillary attempted to cover up her actions by peddling a series of deceptions that are strikingly similar to her latest tweet, pretending she had zero emails that were classified. Well, when evidence surfaced to the contrary, She suddenly changed her story to say, I never sent or received any information that was classified at the time it was sent or received, end of quote. As more facts emerge contradicting this preposterous claim, Clinton altered her story for a third time by asserting, quote, I never sent or received any email that was marked classified. End of quote. Well, that, too, proved to be completely untrue since many of the emails showed marked classification. Even James Comey called her statement false. So finally, she abandoned all of those excuses and resorted to the blanket assertion that, quote, 
Everything I did was permitted by law and regulation, end of quote. It was not. It's fatuous for Hillary Clinton to now weigh in on the current Trump controversy involving classified documents. Devoid of credibility, Hillary is the last person who should offer an opinion. She should stick to mocking our system of justice by selling ball caps with the words, I got away with it. I'm Greg Jarrett for Fox News. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.